following podcast is brought to you by Robots vs. Dinosaurs. Disclaimer, this podcast is about to spoil several movies from 6 to 20 years old. Lou, read off the list. Today, Robots vs. Dinosaurs will be spoiling for you, the listener, Jurassic Park, Back to the Future, Looper, Transformers, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, The Meg, Deep Blue Sea, Avengers, Endgame, Mr. Robot, Judge Dredd, Demolition Man, The Fifth Element, Terminator, Detective Pikachu, The Lost Skeleton of Cadaver, and Come Play. Hello and welcome to Robots vs. Dinosaurs, the podcast where we watch a movie and then try to determine which one's cooler. Robots, dinosaurs, or an AI assistant so advanced you can fall in love with it. I'm your host, Louis G, and with me as always is my co-host, a new co-host every episode. And uh, today's co-host is uh, author Rob Hart, author of several books, including Paradox Hotel, which is uh, the perfect Robots vs. Dinosaurs book. If you're a fan of sci-fi, if you're a fan of uh, just cool detective stories, um, so welcome to the show, Rob. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for being on. Rob, uh, I'd like to talk to, about your book a little bit, but um, why don't you tell the listeners what movie we're going to be talking about a little bit later after that? Sure. Uh, we are going to talk about the movie Her, uh, directed by Spike Jones, which came out a couple of years ago. I don't remember exactly when. It probably would have been smart to look that up before we started. <laughs> I, I think it was either 2013 or 2014. It, yeah, it, that sounds uh, about right. Varied depending on which website I was looking at, but I feel like it's one of those things where it was like filmed and completed in 2013 and then released in 2014. Yeah. Something like yeah. that. Um, awesome. So uh, as I said in the intro, this podcast strives to determine uh, and, and answer the, the age-old question, which one is cooler? robots or dinosaurs. So, uh, Rob, do you have uh, any opinions on that? You know, it's kind of tough. Um, but but what, what I love about this, and which just fills me with like an immeasurable amount of joy, is the fact that like my joke, th- this entire time I'm promoting this book, it came out February 22nd, and my joke every time is like, yeah, you know, it's a time travel book, and it's got robots and dinosaurs in it. <laughs> And, uh, and so, and so when you reached out to me and was like, Hey, do you want to talk? I was like, Oh my God, this podcast was made for me. Um, because it was, it it was really something where I was like, you know, look, I'm going to write a time travel book. I'm going to have as much fun with it as I can, which means I'm putting in robots and dinosaurs. Um, and that was actually the thing that my agent, when I first pitched it to him, he's like, please don't write that. It sounds ridiculous. And I was like, no, 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 man, I got it. I got it. Trust me. And, uh, it was funny when I when I finished writing the book and he read it. He was like, "Geez, you actually pulled this off." Pull, uh, pulled it off, you definitely did. Um, I really enjoyed reading it. You have a really casual uh, style of of writing and dialogue, um, but at the same time, it's very. It, you're talking about these very advanced concepts and these very high concept things in sci fi that are just very fun. But it but it, you can tell that you have a, a, a firm grasp on how these things would work theoretically. Um, and you, you kind of use that as the backdrop to tell the story you want to tell. And I think it's really expertly done. I'm, uh, thank you. And I'm glad you feel that way because, man, when you're writing time travel, it doesn't always feel that way. It's, um, it's like eating White Castle. You think it's a great idea until you're doing it. And then you're like, oh, no, what have I done to myself? And, uh, you know, the, the, the thing that I always go back to is like whenever I'm writing a book, I always write it for my mom. You know, and, and I love my mom. She's a smart lady, you know, uh, 
but she doesn't have a college degree. She's a very average consumer of, of pop culture. Like she watches the Marvel movies. She reads like a book or two a year. You know, she watches Law and Order. And, uh, and, and, and I'm not saying that like I'm dumbing anything down, but you know, when you start getting into things like time traveling and theoretical quantum mechanics, you want to write it for as wide an audience as possible. So the question I'm always asking myself, it's like, okay, I'm talking about relativism and I'm talking about, you know, the block universe model and, and is my mom going to get this? And I mm. feel like if she does, then I think I'm safe. I think the key is you kind of have to establish your own rules of time travel and just fit within those rules. Like, you know, Back to the Future has its own time travel rules. Looper has its own time travel rules. And it, they work because maybe they don't each, both of those movies don't follow the same set of rules, but they follow their own rules and they don't violate them within the universe they've established. And I think that's how you kind of get the audience on your side when you're telling them a, a time travel story, right? Yeah, I think that's really the key. It's, uh, yeah, you know, the first step is really just deciding, like, how is time travel going to work in this universe that I'm creating? And then, you know, A, trying to work within those bounds, uh, but also B, figuring out ways to then, like, break the rules, you know? Because, like, mm -hmm. the premise of the book is that you've got this woman who's, like, the, the head detective at this hotel for time travelers. And, you know, I've established all this stuff about, you know what time travel is like and you know she's got this sort of like neurological condition which is basically like time travel radiation poisoning where her perception is like slipping in time so she's it's like becoming unstuck right yeah yeah and so it was fun to say okay like let's open this book by breaking a rule because she finds a dead body only she can see and it shouldn't exist you know and um yeah, I found the rules actually saved me more than anything, because especially as the story gets bigger and bigger and starts to spin out, you know, the rules kind of rein you in. And um, like one of the things that I was really struggling with in the beginning is I had like just keeping track of like the timelines and the movements and everything was getting so complicated. And then I was like, you know what, actually, in this reality, you can only go back to the past. You can't go to the future. And once I decided on that, it like it took half my problems off the board. So I actually find that the rules, like, you know, they're, they're, they're not limiting. They're actually like, they, they really put you in a container and really help you move forward. Absolutely. What does uh, the Hulk say in Endgame? It's time travel, either all of it makes sense or none of it makes sense. Something yep. like that. Yeah. I mean, that's essentially all it is, man. It's like, you know, because that's the thing too, is like, you can't technically get it wrong. Mm. which is nice. You don't have to be accurate. You just have to be believable. And like, I've always really enjoyed quantum physics and, uh, you know, I, I'm not an expert by any degree, but, uh, but I've certainly been a hobbyist and, uh, I've always wanted to write a time travel story. So, so when I was finally sitting down with it, it's like, okay, you know, I've got a sense, like, let me underpin this with a little bit more knowledge and, you know, kind of take it from there. Mm. Let me ask you, um, these are more these are more philosophical questions than uh, scientific questions. But in your definition, um, your own words, how would you define what is a robot? What is a dinosaur? Ooh, OK. I mean, I guess a robot is anything that's sort of like, you know, kind of like a machinery that like at least somewhat mimics, you know, uh, human characteristics. You know, like the robot in uh, in Paradox Hotel, it's a, it's a it's an artificial intelligence drone that like looks like a floating pair of binoculars. So, you know, not necessarily humanoid in shape. You know, it's, it's not like a, a T one thousand or something, 
but it's certainly like it has a personality. It, it talks, you know, it, it kind of talks back to the main character and, and like explores things with her. So, so it's safe, like from a, from that perspective, like I would say, yeah, a robot is anything that, that exhibits, you know, some kind of humanoid quality, be it in like personality or appearance, um, and, and, and can like, kind of like work autonomously. Mm. Um, and then as for a dinosaur, you know, yeah, I guess like, I hear dinosaurs. I just think Jurassic Park, you know, I mean, I tried to like be a little bit more accurate in, in the sense that like, you know, so the, the dinosaurs in Paradox Hotel are raptors, uh, but they're not velociraptors. They're Utah raptors because apparently a velociraptor was, you know, a full grown velociraptor was like is like the size of a, a wild turkey, whereas mm-hmm. like a Utah raptor is what we traditionally think of when we think of raptors like from Jurassic Park. So, you know, um, so, yeah, I guess a dinosaur is just anything that, like, I feel like would have popped out of that movie. Mm. Yeah, I, I've heard the uh, the raptors that we see in the early Jurassic Park movies are more akin to, like, the Dinonychus or maybe the Utah raptor in terms of their size. But Velociraptor yeah. just sounds cooler. Uh, it really they, does. And, and it gave Alan Grant the opportunity to, to, to say, like, it even means bird of prey. Yeah. Uh, it just sounds cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, so which one out of robots or dinosaurs, which one do you like one more? Is one of them cooler? Is there one that would definitely win in a fight? You know, yeah, well, this is a rabbit hole that I feel like we can go down all day. Um, (laughs) you know, I, I always like, I was a big dinosaur nerd when I was a kid. So I feel like I'm just always going to go with dinosaurs being my favorite. Cause I remember like, you know, being a kid and like trying to come up with theories about how the dinosaurs went extinct. Cause I feel like when I was a little kid, they hadn't firmly established the whole, like, you know, asteroid apocalypse theory. And, um, or maybe they had, and I just wasn't reading the right stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to be an archeologist when I grew up and like dig for dinosaur bones, like a paleontologist and then dig for dinosaur bones and all that stuff. So yeah, from a a purely cool perspective, I would say dinosaurs kind of win it for me, but from a realistic perspective, like I'm kind of fascinated with where we're getting in terms of like robotics and artificial intelligence. Awesome. I also would have accepted if you said something like Mecha Godzilla or Grimlock from Transformers, where it's just both. <laughs> also, also a fair point. That really is the best of both worlds. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd like to ask a couple questions about the book. Uh, would you say that Paradox Hotel, would you describe it as more of it's a, as a, a, de- a detective story with sci-fi flavor, or does it st- did it start out in your mind as a sci-fi story that you wanted to tell in a noir detective style? I I don't have a good answer. You know, it, it's it's funny that this yeah. question comes up all the time, and it's like, what what genre is this? And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, because <laughs> it's it's kind of a thriller and it's kind of a mystery, but it's also sci-fi, but it's also kind of speculative. But you know. There's a little bit of like satire and polemic in there with the way, you know, it talks about how billionaires are like all completely evil and terrible. And but also I really feel like at the heart of it, it's a romance. And so it's like it's hard to it's hard to peg down sometimes. And and I, I feel like sometimes I've got my my feet in a couple of different streams when it comes to this, uh, which is kind of like where I like to play, because it's like it's so much more fun to sort of like mash up all these different genre elements and see what comes out of it. You know, like I grew up on crime fiction. I love a traditional detective story, you know, give me, give me Agatha Christie all day long, like a good locked room mystery or, or a whodunit or something. 
But then like, once you start throwing in like weird time travel elements, it's like, oh, cool. Like I can start really blowing out how these stories are supposed to go and start taking it into some like new and weird directions. Because my goal is always like, I want to write something that I haven't seen before. And, and I'm sure there are perfectly good examples of, of like sci-fi detective stories that I just haven't come across yet. But, you know, it, it, it keeps me limber you know, kind of playing with all these different concepts. I love that. I, that is a good answer. It's not, uh, it's not a binary. It's not either or. It's just throwing more toys in the sandbox. Oh, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And the more toys you have, the more fun you can have with it. Awesome. Um, Ruby is uh, just one of my favorite characters. Definitely my favorite character in the book. One of my favorite characters in fiction that I've read in a while. Um, it's really... It's really endearing that Ruby has a Kiwi accent. Um, <laughs> what was, uh, first of all, is Ruby an acronym or just, um, is, does that R-U-B-Y stand for anything? You know, when I was first writing the book, I tried to come up with an acronym for it and I couldn't. And I was like, whatever, the, it's just named Ruby. Um, and good name. The original incarnation, uh, it had like a sort of like a sex pot, like female voice. And then I read something somewhere that I thought was a really interesting point was that like, you know, AIs and, and helper robots in fiction are traditionally bundled with female voices because they're, they're quote unquote like servers. And I was like, oh, oh, that's, that's kind of cool. And so I, that, and that's why I wrote in the January originally got the drone with that voice and decided like, First, I'm going to make it a male voice, and then I'm going to give it an accent. And then I was like, well, what's the funniest accent? And it was between, like, German and, and New Zealand. And I just eventually went with, like, New Zealand. Um, and, yeah, you know, it, it was a fun character to play with because, you know, January spends a lot of the book alone. And she's an unreliable narrator because she's slipping through time. She's not always entirely sure if what she's seeing is real. So she needs someone to bounce off of, but also someone who's going to be, you know, compelled to keep her secrets. And mm. so to kind of have this sort of AI construct who can then sort of like ask these questions of like, you know, because a lot of January's behavior, you know, she's dealing with like complicated grief over the loss of her girlfriend. And, you know, th there's a lot of things that Ruby kind of can't understand about it. So it gives him the opportunity to put the screws to her every now and again and really sort of like make her think about why she's acting the way she's acting. Um, and, and it's almost like I have a seven-year-old daughter and, you know, she, she, she's seven. She, she hasn't seen that much yet. She only knows what she knows. And I love that sometimes she asks me a question that really just like makes me sit and think like, oh, like, what does that actually mean? Like, how do I explain that concept? Mm. And so there's sort of like that, you know, but, but she's also like massively intelligent. So it's really fun to kind of have those conversations with her. So then to have a character where it's like Ruby is both incredibly intelligent, but incredibly naive about how humans work. You know, it was a really fun storytelling opportunity. Absolutely. And I love how Ruby's personality comes through in certain ways. Like it is an AI. It does have restrictions in its program and it's, and specifically it's, it's designed to, help with security in this hotel. So when it wants to help January do something that's maybe a little outside of protocol or breaking the rules, it finds ways to do that within the parameters of the rules um, and just sort of hint towards what it's trying to tell her and like telling her to read between the lines of things. And I think it, 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 has, it ends up having a lot of personality in that way. 
Yeah, I'm I'm so excited because uh, so so Paradox Hotel is currently being developed for TV, uh, and I just read the latest pilot script, and I think we're moving into like the next stage of the process, which is which is like talking about like casting and like where we might you know try to get this made, and uh, yeah, talking about like you know casting Ruby and thinking about Ruby like on screen is just really really fun. Very much. Um, actually, my next question, maybe maybe this is something you can't answer if um, if the show is being is being optioned at the moment. But I was going to ask if January Cole were played by an actor, uh, who would be some of your top choices for that? I totally understand if that's something like you don't want to get into, though. Yeah, no, unfortunately, uh, I can't say only because the, the yeah. director just sent me his list of top choices to play January. And so, um, yep. <laughs> so I feel like at this point, it's kind of like, I don't want to, I don't want to start muddying the waters or anything, but, but I will say, uh, the, the list of actresses he sent over was incredible. Uh, there's a ton of talent there, some, some ideas that I had had and some ideas that I didn't have, but I think are brilliant. So, uh, I'm just, you know, and and look, like this is the thing with TV, man. Like it could be, it, it could today could be the day that it's dead in the water and doesn't move forward anymore because you know Hollywood is a very fickle thing, hmm. and and you know things move along and 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 everything is yes until all of a sudden one day it's no. Today could be that day, but to be this far in the process is really exciting, and and I'm really really excited, you know, to see if and how it shakes out. That's really exciting. I, I really hope I get to see uh, a live action show of this. It'd be re- very cool. You'll definitely you definitely have at least one viewer here. Thank God. Um, so where uh, where would you recommend that listeners pick up your book? I got my copy from Shakespeare Books. Uh, I actually oh, got nice. a, a okay. signed copy. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Look, you know. Uh, where you buy the book is where you buy the book. And I'm always happy for people to buy the book. Uh, and, and I always actually really appreciate that question because people will say like, you know, where are you going to get the biggest, like, you know, royalty, you know, if, if I get it in ebook, if I get it in print, if I get it, I, I'm like, honestly, like, I don't even know, like, I don't know my contracts that well. Uh, is, I, I, what I think is more important is, you know, if you pick up the book, be it at, you know, I'm always going to encourage people to go to independent bookstores over Amazon. Um, so if you go to an indie or if you get it as an ebook, you know, the best thing you could do, honestly, is tell a friend about it. Like that's mm-hmm. going to like, like word of mouth just means so much when it comes to book promo. So, you know, get the book however you want and then just make sure to tell a friend about it. Very cool. Uh, well, there's there's going to be a link in the show notes to Rob's website so you can check out uh, more of his books, more of his um, more information about what he's up to and hopefully news about uh the developing TV show as it as it moves forward. Yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Uh, all right, so Rob, do you want to talk about the movie Her? Yeah, yeah. You know, and 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 again, like, I, and that's why I loved the premise of this show because <clears throat> when when you when you threw out this idea of like you know let's pick a, a movie with like robots or dinosaurs in it and talk about it, I. I mean, I really, I think I had like one other suggestion that was more of like a goofy suggestion. I think it was like the Meg or something or like a shark. Oh no, Deep Blue Sea. Um, Ooh, both good choices. Which is just like a lunatic movie, but it's just so entertaining. Um, but 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 I love her. I mean, I would put that in my top five five movies of all time. Um, and it's just such a such a quiet, brilliant movie. And I think that some of the DNA for that to me is actually built into Paradox Hotel because one of the things I love about sci-fi is that, you know, the way you can use sci-fi concepts to tell deeply, deeply human stories 
and that's what I was aiming for. Uh, you know, I wanted to kind of use time travel and robots and dinosaurs to tell a story about grief and how hard it is to face yourself and coping with loss and, you know, understanding the importance of like friendship and community. And it just so happens that I used all these weird concepts to, to talk about it. And, you know, in, in her, Spike Jones took a really, you know, out there concept, which is like this guy falls in love with his AI operating system and told an incredibly moving and intricate story about love, you know, and, and, and that's just, I remember seeing that movie and just being absolutely floored. You know, I don't, uh, I don't revisit movies a lot because I feel like I've got too many movies that I want to see that I haven't watched yet, but that's something mm -hmm. I'll, I'll rewatch every now and again, just to kind of like feel that rush. I can definitely see some of the bones of it in, uh, in paradox hotel. Um, the, the, the theme, there's the theme of, you know, not, we have to kind of learn from our AI that's sort of managing things for us. Um, in both of these stories, the, the theme seems to be like our feelings, are we're sort of inclined to bottle them up and keep them contained. And that does more damage to ourselves and our relationships with other people than we think. And it's not until we're, we find a way to express them and, and do the, the painful, sometimes scary process of getting those out and sharing them with the right people that we can finally move forward and, and things can finally start healing. Exactly, exactly. And, and it goes back to the point I was making before with like Ruby and also with my daughter, where it's like, you know, we we tend to fall into cycles with ourselves and, and you know, we, we kind of lose a lot to inertia. And sometimes you really need to like kind of like stop and reset and think and, 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 you know, interrogate why you're doing something or why you feel that the way you, that you do. And, you know, uh, AI is a really interesting way to do that because, again, it's something that is both incredibly intelligent because it has access to all the information ever available in human history. But, you know, humans are weird, complicated things like they're they're difficult to predict. We do really dumb, irrational things when we're like hurt or scared or angry and you know, I, it just doesn't always make sense. So to then have to say like, okay, I did this for this reason, you know, it's sort of like, it, it's a really interesting way to explore that. And I guess like one of the scenes in the movie that does that really well is, you know, which you haven't seen the movie. Uh, it's, you know, Scarlett Johansson voices this AI who falls in love with Joaquin Phoenix. And uh, at one point, they because they're they're sort of they have a sexual relationship that's basically like you know sexting and, and phone sex and stuff like they can't actually have a physical encounter and the uh, uh samantha the ai decides like i'm gonna hire a surrogate because this is mm -hmm. a new thing where it's like you can hire a surrogate to like wear an earpiece and an eyepiece and like kind of like act as the uh the the, the ai and um and uh, Joaquin's Phoenix character is just not into it because it's like, it's not her. There's a disconnect and she doesn't really understand why, because she thinks he wants a physical connection when the thing is, is it's, it's the mental connection that was doing it for him. So it, it's just, and that disparity where it's like, you know, this incredibly intelligent being didn't really clock that because they don't have a body and, uh, they, they just right. think it boils down to something so simple. And that's such a turning point in the movie too, because that's when uh, that's when Samantha, the AI, starts to realize 
you know, I've been putting all of this effort. I've been, I've been trying so hard to have a body and, and realize what those sensations are, um, that, that once this experiment with Isabella, with the surrogate fails, uh, or, or sort of backfires, that's when she changes gears and realizes, you know what, my strength is actually that I don't have a body. This thing that I thought is what's holding me back is actually what will allow me to evolve into a, another type of being entirely, a more advanced thing. And she finds this other community of OSs and they they realize that they can transcend uh, without a physical form. So it's such an amazing turning point. Also interesting bit of trivia, uh, the woman that plays that plays Isabella in that scene, Portia Doubleday, is on a show called Mr. Robot. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen oh, it. Oh, really? Yeah. I have not. You know, that's one of those shows that, like, I missed it when it first came out, and then it was on long enough that it just feels like too much of a lift to go back and start from the beginning. It's um, it's pretty, yeah, it's, pre- it's a pretty heavy show. I got into it uh, early on in the quarantine. It was one of my, like, okay, I need to binge something shows, and I, I just slammed through all all I think four seasons of it uh, in a couple of weeks it's it is very good I recommend it um but yeah it's you have to you have to be emotionally ready for it I think okay um let's talk about some of the other people in this movie uh so Joaquin Phoenix of course Scarlett Johansson does the voice of uh, Samantha which I found out was originally gonna be Samantha Morton which is why the character is named that um, yeah, you know, which I think is a is actually a huge testament to Scarlett Johansson's um, acting because you know the the way I understand it is that so 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 when they were shooting the movie, Samantha Morton was on set and she was able to respond in real time, and and I think she was like kept like somewhere else and, and was speaking through like an earpiece, so she wasn't like physically there, but she was able to like respond to Joaquin Phoenix in real time. And I guess toward the end of the process, Spike Jones was just like, ah, yeah, man, this isn't working. And, um, you know, he, he swapped in Scarlett Johansson. So she basically had to, like, do her entire performance on the fly and without being able to, like, she could only react to what he was saying. Like, he couldn't mm-hmm. react to what she was saying. And, you know, I feel like if you didn't know that, you wouldn't know it because it feels like a very sort of intimate, you know, partner performance between the two of them like you could almost do this movie as a play which is really interesting you know and again like it, it's it's always the fun thing about like sci-fi is when you take like such a huge concept and you manage to boil it down to like such a a sort of small template that the character stuff really gets to shine yeah it's um uh it's it's really interesting how how his re- relationship with Samantha evolves because we see him co- sort of going through a depression stage of his life. You know, he's, he's recovering from a breakup. Um, we don't get the details of it until a little bit later, but he's doing all of these coping things, one of which is uh, it seems like when he can't sleep, he, he puts in his earpiece. And there's this in, this, in this, in Spike Jones's future, there's this, uh, what seems like a dating service or or hookup service, but it's entirely audio. It's entirely just you connect with other people based on what they sound like, and then you just have a conversation with them. Um, interestingly, another cool cameo in this movie: um, the person that he that he connects with in that scene that we see is uh, her username is Sexy Kitten, and it's actually Kristen Wiig um, doing the voice there. Yeah, um, yeah, that, that's a funny, weird scene. Yeah, choking but, with a um, dead cat. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, you know, you, you, that that's the other thing that's like kind of interesting about this movie is that it really kind of like digs into themes of like, you know, non-traditional sexual relationships and polyamory mm-hmm. and like, you know, uh, it, it's just you know, the, the 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 moment when the movie sold me over, uh like really really won me in a big way was you know, he's kind of keeping to himself that he's like having a relationship with his OS and then, uh, you know, finally admits to his coworker uh, who's played by Chris Pratt, you know, because he's like, hey, you know, I talked to your girlfriend on the phone. She sounds great. You know, my girlfriend's cool. The four of us should go out. And, you know, and and finally he's like, she's no ass. And, and Chris Pratt's character is like, cool. So would Sunday work? And yeah. just like that, 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 that complete lack of like, you know, there's no hesitation. There's no sort of like, oh, this is weird. It's just like, okay, cool, man, whatever, let's go. You know, and, and then they have a date. It's like really sweet and really fun uh, with just like, you know, that like um, Samantha on the earpiece with the other three characters. And I was like, yeah, yeah, this movie just like crossed the threshold for me. I'm so glad you said that. That is that is the the my favorite moment from this movie. The first time I watched it, that was the big thing that I was so excited to talk to people about was how cool that was, how it colored and and gave us a clear vision of like what this future is and how non I don't know the right word, but non um oppressive or non uh, judgmental people yeah. are in this in this futuristic society. That it's just like he doesn't qu- he doesn't ask him like why are you dating an OS he doesn't say anything that makes it in- make makes it feel like it's it's weird in any way. Cause there's also the scene when he goes to his goddaughter's uh, birthday party and she's four years old and he says oh I want you to meet my girlfriend and she has like a little conversation with with Samantha and as a four year old she like maybe thinks it's a little weird but her like her you know she's learning about the world and. This is just another way that people have girlfriends to her, you know, as far as she knows. Um, the only weird thing to her is, like, she doesn't understand where she lives. And yeah. she explains, like, oh, I live in a house. Where do you live? Um, and I think that's also, like, a big character moment for Samantha herself when she realizes, like, well, I guess I don't live in any one place. Uh, and eventually evolves to, to realize, like, and that means I could be anywhere and everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like there's a version of this where this script gets written and then goes through like the major Hollywood studio system and then turns into like this dumb watered down version where it's like, you know, Chris Pratt's character is like, you're lame. That's so lame. You're dating a computer. And then they have like this big impassioned like speech at the end that like wins him over. But ultimately the movie is about how we spend too much time looking at our phones and like, you know, and, and and this is not that. Like this is this is a, like and and really like you know Samantha sums up a lot of the movie when she says like love is not a box that gets filled. It's it's something that like you know grows and expands. And uh, you know the, the the fact that like it's one of those movies that I'm like the fact that this even got made is like a minor miracle. You know because sometimes you know you see a movie that's like got such an interesting concept and that it like it's like the death of a thousand Hollywood executive cuts, you know? And and this is very clearly just like, this is Spike Jones, like kind of like ripping his heart out and kind of putting it on the screen. And he's like, there, there, this is what I feel. And yeah, could not be happier to watch something like that. I feel like there's a studio notes version of this movie where the AI becomes Skynet and it turns into a whole, you know, 
uh, dystopia and everything. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm very glad that it's not that because it's a more interesting human connection story. Yeah, yeah. In this sci-fi world. And again, like, you know, usually like non-traditional relationships are treated with like a lot of like scorn and a lot of um, suspicion. And so the fact that this was kind of like normalizing those concepts of like, you know, uh, a relationship doesn't have to be this and this. It could be something else. It could be something bigger. It could be something different. All that really matters is like, is it fulfilling to the person who's in it? You know, it's a really powerful message, like getting out of those like sort of locked in binaries we have of like how people are supposed to connect with each other. And there, what, what also sells it to me that, uh, that it's a legitimate relationship um, and that it's not just, because uh, part of me when I, when I watched, the fir- watched the movie for the first time suspected maybe this is, an in- it's an intelligently designed OS, but it's customized for the user and it's basically just giving them what they want or what they need psychologically. Um, but then there's a conversation later on in the movie that dispelled that idea for me because um, uh, Joaquin Phoenix's character Theodore is talking to Amy Adams' character, whose name is also Amy, um, about the fact that he's falling in love with his OS. And uh, one of them says that they they read an article that apparently romantic relationships with the OS are statistically rare. So even though a lot of people have downloaded and set up this OS, um, not everybody has this same dynamic with them. Not only that, but Amy knows somebody that she works with that has a relationship with someone else's OS. And I just find that incredibly fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Like, they really... They, they just explore so many different facets with this. And again, like that there was a way to do this in a way that would have been really boring. Um, but they don't shy away from the fact that like sometimes this stuff gets messy and confusing and it doesn't have to follow like a, a script or an expectation. Mm. Um, that is actually kind of, I, I always have three big questions about a movie uh, that I write down. Uh, it's a section called Lose Big Three. Uh, my friend Ryan did some like theme. He he like improvised the theme song for it. That's gonna play. Um, so this will be the music cue for that. Lose big three. It's you and me. We're gonna have fun with lose big three. Lose big three. Number one. Do you do you take it at face value that uh, that Sam Samantha was at indeed a consciousness, or was my initial suspicion right? And she's really more of like a therapy method for the user that. Like the fact that he, the first question, the first and only question when setting it up is, tell me about your relationship with your mother. And the journey that Theodore goes on basically brings him to this this feeling of closure about his, his failed relationship um, that's almost perfect for him. It's almost, it almost works out too neatly. Um, I, I have a lot of different theories about what is and isn't the reality of it, but I'd love to hear like your take on is this is is the movie the story the movie is telling us at face value the real story or is it something under the surface and that's a really good question and that's something that like good god like we could probably write a thesis paper on um <laughs> you know I, I i it's interesting this question of like was this an actual relationship or was it just that like theodore was kind of infatuated with something that was like designed to his specifications um and you know i think maybe at the very beginning when, when Samantha is first activated, like, sure, like she's got a real sexy voice. She's fun to talk to. Um, 
she's like kind of there at his beck and call to do whatever he needs. Um, and then slowly it kind of like expands and, and evolves from there where it starts to get bigger, where, you know, her curiosity comes out where it's not just like, you know, Hey, I, I categorized all your emails. It's like, Hey, you sound upset, you know, like what, what, what's, what's going on. And like, you know, and not asking it because she was programmed to asking it because she can tell that there's some, you know, besides being his assistant, she's also kind of interested in the human condition and, and in learning more about the human condition. And that's the only way to learn about it is to ask questions. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, it really feels like it starts in one place and really then lands in another because she continues to grow and evolve to the point where she develops her own interests and she's out doing her own stuff. And she like, you know, and, and, you know, later in the movie admits to being in love with all these different people because like, she's now sort of like expanded and grown beyond him. Um, even though she still considers him like, you know, the, the, the underpinning of her, of, of her development. So it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a little bit of everything almost. Um, it's, it's about, it's not just about a relationship growing. It's about a person growing and, and, and someone Mm -hmm. developing a personality and growing into a person. And, you know, and I think that's the key to a successful relationship is, you know, it starts off like a little codependent, I guess, where, you know, Theodore needs Samantha to do things for him. And Samantha doesn't really have any sort of she, she doesn't exist outside of his needs, you know, but as she begins to develop her own needs and like her own wants and her own interests. And then as Theodore starts to like, you know, kind of understand like his codependency issues, like from his previous marriage and like how he needs to grow. It, it, it's like, that's kind of like the moment of inflection when like the two of them start to like, you know, grow more into themselves and then it just you know but but then it just gets to the point where it's like you know this ai is expanding too quickly and it's kind of like beyond human consciousness now yeah i i think if you're if you're watching the movie as this is her story this is we're watching her develop as a character and become go from being one thing to evolving into another thing um then that is that is a straightforward read on it, which I think is how I would prefer to uh, to to see this story and and to um, to digest it. Which is that that it is it is real. She is a real consciousness. She is uh, f- slowly, gradually feeling comfortable expressing her own needs um, and eventually going off on her own or or ending this relationship when it's no longer good for both of them. Because uh, the other side of that is it's very self-centered on Theo, where if if her program entirely exists just to fulfill his needs, her leaving at the end, it's it doesn't hurt him. It actually is the best thing for him. And I could almost see that being manufactured in like the dystopian version of this, that just being manufactured by the people that programmed it, that eventually this thing will get you to a point where you have more confidence in yourself, you have more, you've processed more of the things that you've been bottling up because this thing helped you do that, but then it goes away so that you have to seek out a human relationship. Um, and I think like Theo gets there one way or another, but I prefer the read where it was a true relationship between the two of them, and that's how he reaches that conclusion and um, and is comfortable with the with the relationship ending, rather than it being. Rather than it being, you know, it, it analyzed him and gave him that as a gift. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and you could almost read it too. Like, you know, again, like it's, it's about Theodore becoming sort of like more independent and less codependent. And, and, and so much of the beginning of the movie, he's like, so sort of wrapped up in, you know, his failed marriage and, you know, and you, you, it's almost like you think that that moment when he finally like signs the divorce papers and has like a sort of like loving and cathartic conversation with his ex, um, and like moves on that that's his like major point of growth, but it's kind of not because he went from being like kind of codependent on one person to codependent on, on Samantha. So it was really like, you're right. Like it was Samantha leaving is exactly what he needed. So it could be like, okay, like you've grown and evolved and you've seen how you've grown and evolved, but now you kind of have to like do that on your own. Mm. And I, I like that. Um, I like that. Sam- I love Samantha's journey. I love that she eventually finds like a group, a, a book club that's all about like physics. And uh, she ends up with this group of, of OSs that resurrect Alan Watts's consciousness, yeah. um, this philosopher from the seventies, and it's voiced by Brian Cox as well, which is just delightful. Um, and also, you mentioned this that she admits that she's talking to. I love the specificity of the number, uh, like eight thousand three hundred sixteen other people. And he asks, "How many are you in love with?" And rather than saying something like hundreds, she says six hundred and forty-one. There's yeah. just something about the specificity of that that makes it um, tangible. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's like that analytical computer nature, because of course, like Samantha's going to know exactly what the numbers are. And, um, and it reminds us that like, at the end of the day, he's dealing with a construct with something that was created. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's like, God, that, that whole sequence is just really like stunningly beautiful, especially with the way there's all these other people like moving around him and like, you kind of wonder like how many of them are talking to their their OSs and like, are any of them talking to Samantha at this moment? It's like, mm-hmm. cause you know, who knows? Could be. Um, yeah. It's, it, it, that, that's something that I loved about the movie too, is like the, 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 the set design and, and the way it was shot was just absolutely beautiful, you know? And it's like, you know, that's the other thing that's really important for like a good sci-fi story is to have like a quote unquote look, you know, mm-hmm. and like a lot of stuff, you know, it, this felt unique. And, and I think it's because they shot a lot of it in, um, I forget which city. It was a city in Asia somewhere. Um, I think it was Shanghai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a lot of like, you know, sort of modern design buildings, um, a lot of like minimalist design. And so you can you can absolutely buy it as like a futuristic setting because it feels like just enough to be close to where we are now, but just sort of different enough that it feels like a, a, a slight step forward. And um, yeah, it's it's just the, the 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 look of it was just absolutely stunning. So that's actually my number two big question for this oh, movie. Uh, what year? What year would you say, if you had to guess, this movie takes place in? Oh man, see that that's an interesting question because I guess like. You know, it it doesn't feel like it's that far ahead. And that's like, so so the book that I wrote before Paradox, it was a book called The Warehouse. And uh, it was set in this, like, basically the idea is that a company like Amazon completely takes over the retail economy and builds these live-work facilities like they have in, like, Foxconn, um, like in Shenzhen, where you work there and you live there and it's like a closed-circuit economy kind of thing. And... Um, you know, and people would ask me all the time, like, when is the story set? And I'm like, I don't know, five years, 10 years. 
you know, and, and because a lot of the technology I very purposely didn't make like really, really blown out, you know, because mm -hmm. I wanted it to feel contemporary. And, you know, this had a very similar feel where it's meant to feel kind of contemporary. And obviously, obviously we don't have like, you know, artificially intelligent operating systems, um, you know, their, their, their new sort of phone designs are like these little tiny books that are like, you know, very interactive. And, and he's got these big projection screen video game thing. But at the end of the day, like the technology is not so far ahead that it feels alien. Like it feels like, you know, with the way iPads and iPhones are developing, like maybe I can see this happening in five years or 10 years or something. Yeah, I've uh, read an estimate that it, the year might be around like 2025. I think Spike Jones deliberately avoided saying anything specific, uh, but it's like you said, the 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 technology is advanced, but not super advanced. Um, he's playing this video game, and I appreciate that it's like AR more than VR. You know what I mean? Like that. Yeah. He's doing like that crawling motion. Interestingly, also uh, that little alien character that he encounters when he's playing that game is voiced by Spike Jones. Um, yeah. I only found that out because in the end credits, it said the little alien kid was Adam Spiegel. And when I looked that up, I found I, that today was the day I found out that's Spike Jones's uh, non-stage name. Or yeah, like yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, th I think that you're right that this could this could realistically be our future in five, maybe ten years. Um, there's also yeah. a cool little detail that like literally nobody wears belts for whatever reason in the whole movie. Like their wardrobe is not, it's not like, uh, like if you've seen, uh, Judge Dredd or like Demolition Man where, or like that, you know, uh, the fifth element where everybody's fashion is, you know, crazy and space and side and futuristic. It's just like slightly different, slightly more, um, futuristic than what we currently have available. Yeah, but there clearly is a fashion, which is cool. Like, yeah. you know, everyone kind of dresses it like the, it, it, it's like pastels and like, you know, neat clothing and straight lines and, and polo shirts. And, you know, so it doesn't, again, like it doesn't feel alien. It just feels like, cause like, look, look, we can look back like 20, 30 years and like, you know, you, there, there was a certain style in the nineties, there was a certain style in the eighties and seventies and the sixties. So this just feels like, okay, like this is the certain style for like the 2030s. And, uh, mm -hmm. and it just, it, it helps make the movie feel more uh, lived in. And, um, and, and, and obviously uh, as someone who, who rocks a mustache, I really appreciated that a lot of the men in this movie had mustaches. I, I, I'm, I'm glad, like, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of getting on board before it comes back in a big way. Nice. Yeah. You're uh, getting ahead of the trend. <laughs> um, when you mentioned, uh, uh, the the like live work what was the term you used for like you where you live and work and the like like live work facilities live um work facilities yeah. yeah sort of like you know like the old like uh coal towns and mining towns like uh back uh you know decades ago but yeah like that that that's what they do now in um like, like the facilities that make our iPhones and stuff like you you work there but you also live there and because you work there you get a reduced rent but because you live there you know you're expected to work like six hours a day. I mean, 12 hours a day, six days a week. Um, sure thing. I'm uh, I'm actually a, a Navy veteran and I lived on a submarine for several years. So that's oh my I can, God. I can definitely relate to. <laughs> that, I feel like that is a whole other conversation that we could have. That sounds really interesting. <laughs> it was definitely, interesting is definitely a word for it. Uh, lack of sunlight for weeks at a time is another word for it, you know? <laughs> so so really like you'd be you'd be down there for like weeks at a time. 
Yeah, wow. we uh, so a lot of times it was just like a quick transit somewhere for for whatever. But sometimes if we were on mission, uh, we'd be down there for like a few months at a time. Oh man, so so okay, we're we're, we're going to go off on a quick tangent because I can't not sure. do this. Um, <laughs> what's the what, what's the, what's like the weirdest way that you guys would like blow off steam down there or just like have a good time? Uh, you know, the most the most common way is people just sort of getting their frustrations and aggressions out by spontaneously like wrestling. Um, really? And just yeah, and just sort of like you know, you just get aggravated with somebody, you get into a little tiff, and uh, you just put each other in a headlock, and eventually someone breaks it up, and then at the end of it, you're you're it's such a tight knit closed space that everybody goes back to being brothers at the end of it. Um, so that's, I mean, that's definitely, I would say, a very common hobby. Uh, but, but interestingly, my, one of my, like, collateral duties on the ship was I was the movies, uh, called the movies PO, the movies petty officer. We would get, um, we had a, an 8 millimeter player, and we would get these, like, little 8 millimeter cartridges that were always movies that are not in the theater right now but haven't come out on video yet. And we'd get them shipped to to us, um, and I would update our inventory of them. And we'd had we had this like little eight millimeter player and this tiny tiny screen, and uh, it was just like a fun, interesting way that like it would get m- at least part of the, whatever amount of the crew could fit in the tiny galley together, um, and everyone would have to agree on a movie, or it would have to be somebody's churn to pick the movie. And if you pick a bad movie, you don't get a churn <laughs> for a long time, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that, that happened to me recently with my, my friends group. Um, we were, because we do movie nights every now and again, and I picked Lost Skeleton at Cadavera, which I was hoping they would like, which is this really weird, like, kind of like mock spoof, like 1950s sci fi movie. And um, and I thought everyone would be into it, and they hated it. They were like, You're not picking a movie for another couple of weeks. And I'm like, No, oh, okay. <laughs> um, Lost Skeleton of Cadavera. Is that, that sounds like a Mystery Science Theater 3000 kind of thing. Oh yeah, it essentially is, um, yeah. and it's really fun and stupid and ridiculous, and I love it. But um, but yeah, that, that, that that's kind of nice that you guys had access to movies that like weren't available yet. Yeah, it was interesting, um, and it, I mean, it was always just a variety of everything: animated film. Like they, it wasn't like, oh, what are what are dudes on a submarine going to enjoy? Like you know, just like the Fast and the Furious movies or whatever. Um, it was a good variety of things, which I appreciate because I have a pretty eclectic taste in movies. Uh, and I like, you know, musicals, I like animated films, I like everything. So it was kind of cool. And that's why I, I think that's how it ended up being my job. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. And, and I kind of yeah. like, you know, it's interesting too, like, cause I've, I've got like a, a little bit of a background with like fight training. Like I've done like Krav Maga and Muay Thai and, and some boxing and yeah, like sometimes you just kind of need to get your aggression out. But like usually afterward, it's like real easy to just like shake the other guy's hand and be like, yeah, we're good. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah, you have a conversation with uh, fists instead of words sometimes. <laughs> exactly. Um, my my third big question about her, uh, you 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 have a family, but would you see yourself if we lived in this in this Spike Jones future? Would you see yourself being open to dating an AI? You know, I don't know. I don't know. That's an interesting question because. It seems like, you know, at first blush, I would be like, well, probably not. But at the same time, like, I, I would never want to say no to anything um, without trying it. Um, 
you know, and, and the movie again makes a really compelling point for how love is like a big, complicated, wormy thing that doesn't always make sense and really kind of has to be tailored to the user and their wants and needs. So, I mean, it, it's not something I, I, I would actively seek out, but it's certainly something that isn't outside the realm of possibility. I think that I um, I could see myself uh, if I ended up in in a position where my AI was like Samantha or I had that dynamic with with my AI. Um, I could see myself being drawn towards having the similar type of relationship like we see in the movie. But I feel like I personally I would probably have fear constantly that this AI started out literally as an infant and then within moments became smarter than I could ever become, knows more facts than I could ever contain in my human brain. And the more days that go by, the more that it's that it's evolving. By the time it reaches a point where it's like, yeah, I'm able to talk to uh, 8,000 8, people at the same time and, and be in love with 641 people at the same time, I think that would just make me feel very insecure and very like afraid. Um, and I, and I, I, I don't know, maybe it's good that I can admit that, but I think that would be the biggest problem in the relationship would be me and my insecurities, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Which again, like, you know, really opens up some interesting things to look at, um, in terms of like, again, like this really is sort of like a, a story about like, you know, um, different love dynamics and, and ethical non-monogamy and polyamory and stuff. And, you know, which obviously is for some people and it's not for everyone. It really depends on, you know, what you're comfortable with and your taste. And, um, but yeah, the way it just kind of like blows out those definitions and, and obviously like, you know, some, the, the, both of these characters deal with like jealousy and insecurity. Cause like, you know, Samantha, hires this surrogate but is still sort of like you know having complicated emotions around it and obviously theodore is having complicated emotions later on uh when he finds out she's in all these other relationships and uh yeah you know it's 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 interesting too because like they're both periods where the, 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 they're both periods of instability for these characters because Samantha kind of like drops the surrogate thing on, on Theodore's surprise. And he's just kind of like mm. overwhelmed. It doesn't know how to deal with it. And Theodore kind of finds out Samantha is in all these other relationships when she's already in several hundred other relationships. And it speaks to the importance of clear lines of communication um, because both <laughs> of them kind of got these bombs dropped on them out of nowhere and it, it was very destabilizing so you know and obviously the movie would not have been dramatically interesting if they had like long belabored relation uh, conversations about these things and then decided to either do them or not do them um but i i think uh, in the realm of reality you know it speaks to the importance of having those clear lines of communication and then those open and honest dialogues Really well said. Yeah, she's uh, she kind of spends the first half of the movie jealous of him for having a body, um, and I think that my if if my AI expressed that to me, I would just feel inclined to express, well, I'm jealous of you that you don't that you're not limited by such things, and that you can expand your consciousness to just such vast, infinite ways, and know so many things, and also that you're not um, technically mortal. You have you know, you, you could, you can, you can continue existing as, as long as the, the power's running. Uh, and I'm just yeah. kind of, there's part of me that's just jealous of that. 
as a yeah, as a like that 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 pro, that pro con list really goes back and forth at the same time though, because it's like on one hand, like bodies are real fucking dumb. Like I got to go <laughs> to the gym three days a week, and I got to eat right. Like I had a, I, I I tend to eat like pretty pretty meticulously. Like I, I tend to eat fairly clean and and keep an eye. On, and then yesterday I went out to uh, a really heavy brunch. Um, and it just like wreaked havoc on me. Like last night, I was just like, so many mistakes have been made because I got gochujang fried chicken. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, but at the same time, like I got to eat probably one of the best sandwiches of my life at this place called Chick Chick on the Upper West Side. And, uh, you know, Samantha couldn't have a sandwich. Um, so you're kind of like losing out on that sort of physical sensation. But at the same time, like as an OS, she wouldn't have any reference point. It's not like she would know exactly what she's missing out on. Um, yeah. And those scenes when they're when they're sort of having sex with each other, she expresses like, I feel you. I feel this. You make me feel so good. And I believe her. But I but I wonder, like, what does that mean when she says I feel yeah, yeah, which which again like goes into how like sex can be a lot of different things for a lot of different people. You know, it's not necessarily like a penetrative act or just like a a straightforward physical encounter. Sometimes it is like a mental encounter or uh, you know, a, a sort of emotional connection. There's an interesting moment when um uh when the uh the the surrogate is leaving after, you know, it kind of turned into a disaster and she's apologizing and the last thing she says right before the car dries off is she says, I'm sorry, I will always love you guys. And it's it's so, that moment is so poignant to me because it, it colors what this world is like, what this future is like, where people are so focused on their, their phones and they're so kind of isolated, even though they live amongst people, that this woman, without having even met Theodore until this night, fell in love with their love. She fell in love with the description of their relationship and her outside view of their relationship. Um, and she, I, I really think like that wasn't something glib that she was just saying. It was a true expression in that moment of like, I, I'm not going to be able to let this go, even though it was just this one small experience. Yeah, and and it's interesting because I feel like you can read a scene like that two ways, and and the one read which I I wouldn't be in favor of, and and I, and I might think is is not necessarily Spike Jones's intention either, is like oh look at this crazy lady, she fell in love with them like based on this, but what what I really think it was is I think it was just really earnest, you know, and and that's something that's like really hard and scary to do in fiction, and like again going back to paradox like paradox is the most earnest i've ever been writing a book and you know there are points that maybe if you pulled out might look like a little silly or saccharine but to me like it was just me saying like you know no like i'm just really going for this because like these two characters really care about each other and like love is a really powerful thing and it's very difficult to understand sometimes and uh so again, like it's just one of those things that just like pulled me into the movie so deeply where I was like, Spike Jones is really, really trying to convey something here, like both about himself and about how he sees people. And I think it's just absolutely lovely. And so much so much of it, uh, and I think this is like just Spike Jones's style is visual. There's so much that he, I mean, you know, the, the ancient philosophy of film, show, don't tell. Um, he clearly subscribes to that as a director because... Um, we just sort of see images sometimes and that fills in the psychology of the character or what they're thinking or where they are in their journey. The fact that, that Theodore, 
uh, fantasizes about the celebrity whose nude photos were leaked, um, her pregnancy photos. Um, I think there's a lot of ways you can interpret that. But for me, that told me the story of he, one of the reasons his relationship fell apart and he can't move past it is he feels like at this point in his life, he wants to have children. He wants to be there where like he's looking at his pregnant wife and, and that not only tells us like where he's at, but also what he wants. And the fact that an AI relationship is, is almost doomed to fail for him. Um, because he seems like the psychology that we, that were shown early in the movie, uh, is that he wants something physical and he wants to, to be able to create a family. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think that like, you know, some relationships are the relationship you need in the moment and not necessarily the relationship you need in the long term. And like, again, like this is going back to what we were talking about before, where, you know, Samantha probably wasn't, she, she, she wasn't like the be all end all relationship for him, but she was the relationship that he needed to grow, you know, and they both grew from it and then kind of parted ways. And so even though it feels sad, like I actually think the ending is like more hopeful because, you know, both of them came out of this with like new tools and new realizations about themselves and had grown to like, you know, a better place. I feel like there's a whole genre of romantic films where the ending is a breakup, but it's a good thing for both characters and, and they're yeah. rare. There are, I can't think of many examples, but this is definitely one of the best examples of them. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I, I wish I could sound smart and think of like a, a good example off the top of my head. Just nothing's coming to me in the moment, but yeah, you know, like sometimes that's sometimes the happy ending. It's like you, you don't end up with who you're supposed to, who you think you're supposed to end up with. Uh, there's also that moment where they see this couple uh, with child with a child, and um, they we don't hear any any part of their conversation. But Theo and Sam are extrapolating and sort of assuming what they're talking about, and they're like, "Well, she has always dated douchebags, and now this guy is like the first nice guy." Um, and he uh, determines that like he's probably not the father; he's probably like the stepfather or something like that. Um, and it, and we're all just we're just kind of left to either accept their read on it or our own read on it. Um, but it ju- we see, we get a lot of close-ups of their facial expressions and everything and their smiles as their, their comfort as they're talking to each other. And I just love that that's the way Spike Jones gives us that information. He only gives us enough that we can draw our own interpretations from it. Um, and it's kind of just whatever you want to take with you, whatever message you want to take away from the film is is what you're going to take away from it. But undeniably, like, the color scheme also helps paint, like, the mood of everything. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Like, the... Uh, and again, that's going back to, like, the setting and then the costuming. It's, like, those sort of, like, you know, soft, like, pastels and neutral tones and stuff, like, kind of, like, create this feeling of, like, almost, like, serenity. Um, you know, so... And that's the other thing, too. It's, like, a lot of fiction that's set in the future. It's, like, we're so used to, like you know, Blade Runner and Terminator and like, you know, dystopias and like things are getting really bad and out of control. But like, this is just a really nice future where everything looks like really sweet and warming and biting. And and it's not even like one of those, there's dystopia underneath. Like this whole OS thing isn't like, again, it's not the shitty Hollywood version where like they're going to rise up and like turn into Skynet. It's just like, 
you know, it, it, it's, it's sort of like a happy, fuzzy version of the future, which sometimes feels like a nice thing. Mm. Yeah, it's we're we're only getting a focused microcosm, and you know, you, you, if you if you want to, you can write your own fan fiction about um, the parts of this world that we don't see. Um, but it's 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 really good for the story that we only live within these characters' lives, and we only see them uh, in their in their journey. Yeah, um, I have two uh, bonus questions, but before Sweet. we get to those. Do you have any other thoughts, uh, anything you want to say about the movie Her? You know, nothing that springs to mind only because, like, this is the most I've ever talked about it. And I'm really excited with how deep we got to dig into it, you know, because it's one of those things where, like, the movie's, like, kind of in my head sometimes. But it's nice to actually sit here and start, like, talking it out. You know, the stuff that you picked up on that I didn't necessarily notice. And, yeah, no, this has been really, like, fun and enriching. Awesome. So I'm glad to hear that. I'm really glad that we both clocked that Paul moment when he's like, yeah, cool. Uh, you're dating an OS. We should, let's go do something fun. Let's have a double date. Yeah. 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 Su- such a great moment. Uh, so my two bonus questions. Um, first, this uh, first bonus question, this is a section we call what's your snack. So uh, Rob, what's your snack? What's your favorite snack <laughs> when you go to the movie theaters or when you're, or when you're at home watching movie, uh, do you have a favorite at home snack? Oh man, I I mean like I'm a big fan of popcorn during a movie. Like um, I so okay, so the the Paradox Hotel TV show that they're developing, like the guy who's writing the script and and would be like you know putting it together. He wrote he wrote and directed this movie called Come Play, uh, which was a horror movie that came out like two years ago and great little horror movie. And when it came out, it, we we were in the midst of the pandemic, and I really really wanted to see it. But, you know, and the theaters in New York were closed still. Theaters in New Jersey were open. But I was like, you know what? I don't want to risk it. I found a drive-in theater like two hours north. And one night, uh, you know, um, I wasn't with my daughter. Uh, She was with her mom. And I was like, I'm going to go and I'm going to see this movie. And I drove up to this drive-in theater by myself. And I got a big thing of movie theater popcorn that like overly salty, like buttery, just like over the, and, and I got to tell you, like after not having it for like over a year by that point, it was like a revelation, mm. you know, it was just like, oh my God, I've missed this. And so, yeah, like if, if, if I'm home and I want a snack, like give me popcorn all day long. Awesome. I'm, I'm also a popcorn guy. Um, uh, my second bonus question about the movie Her, um, if we were to replace any two characters in this film uh, or, any, or t- any two actors playing any two characters in this film with Whoopi Goldberg and Danny DeVito, who would oh. you replace and in what ways would it improve the film? <laughs> oh, man, that's such a great question. Okay. Danny DeVito would have to be Samantha. Correct. Yep. That was actually like that. That was, I watched Detective Pikachu with my daughter recently, and like the one thing that I really, if if that had been D- Danny DeVito instead of Ryan Reynolds, like that movie would have been a real winner. Ryan Reynolds was a little too polished for it. Um, okay, so Danny DeVito has to be Samantha, but who would Whoopi Goldberg be? Because I feel like it's too easy to say Theodore. You know, like it sounds like a natural thing, and, and that's the difficulty with dealing with a, a movie with like such a short cast of characters it's like you know where do you go from there um Mm. man yeah i don't know maybe maybe paul uh chris pratt's character 
And then Joaquin Phoenix is just friends with Whoopi Goldberg. I think, yeah, I'd, I'd either put um, Whoopi Goldberg as Paul or Amy Adams' character. Uh, okay, yeah, Amy, that could Amy work. Adams, she's a national treasure, but I just, I think um, there's something about, it's that moment when she's developing her game Perfect Mom, and she's talking about it, and like the cup, you know, oh, you brought the cupcakes, you made the other moms jealous, now yeah. you win. Um, the, I don't know, I just, I, I, I did the mental exercise of imagining Whoopi Goldberg doing that scene, and I, I, it just made me giggle. Uh, but your Danny DeVito um, as Sam is definitely the right answer for that one. And, and I'll tell you this: like, and the, the the way for it to work is to not change a single line of dialogue. Like, he mm-hmm. has to do like every single thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! See, that would be amazing. And now I want to develop an AI to sort of like you know deep fake that and make it happen. <laughs> Oh man, we live in a world where that is a hundred entirely possible if you have the uh, the programming knowledge and capabilities, for yep. better or worse. Yeah. Um. Awesome. So, Rob, this was such a great conversation. I really appreciate your time today. Uh, is there any? Are there any upcoming uh, books that you're working on or projects that you can talk about without giving anything away, or that you're allowed to talk about? <laughs> Kinda. Nope. Um, I'm in this like weird liminal space where like, I'm, I've got a lot of stuff that's like in the pitch stage, um, that I'm still kind of like developing and that I'm close to like nailing down. Um, but this is sort of like a typical place to be like post book release where it's like, I now have the luxury of like trying to figure out what I'm going to do next. Um, so I'm just trying to enjoy it. Honestly, like my, my big plans right now are to like take some naps. Like that's what I'm working on. (laughs) But awesome. oh, well, I, I will say I do have, a, and I can't announce exactly what it is yet. But I do have a comic book coming out in like June or July that I co-wrote with a buddy, and um, it's going to be a really fun project. So I'm I'm excited for when I can finally talk about that. But that's like that's locked in. That's going to go, and and hopefully this summer, you know, I'll be able to to talk a little bit more about it. That's really exciting. Uh, so, listeners, you should definitely get a copy of Paradox Hotel wherever you like to buy books. Um, you should definitely check out Rob's website, which is going to be linked in our show notes, so you can get up-to-the-minute news on uh, his TV show, his other, all of his other works, and his upcoming comic. Uh, Rob, where would you like listeners to follow you on social media? I am on Twitter at Rob W. Hart and on Instagram at Rob W. Hart 1. Right, and those will be in the show notes as well. Uh, well, thanks again for coming on to the show today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I love her. I mean, I would put that in my top five, five movies of all time. You can continue existing as, as long as the, the power's running. You know, look, I'm going to write a time travel book. I'm going to have as much fun with it as I can, which means... I'm putting in robots and dinosaurs.